You are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable, the most audible. Holy applause, like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Welcome like to anything is potable. Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packer, joined as always by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you on a Saturday morning after the Celtics beat the Chicago Bulls, barely beat the Chicago Bulls because they could not stop DeMar DeRozan to save their lives. This is also coming off another loss to the Cavs in overtime on Wednesday night earlier this week. The Celtics currently sit at 5-3. and three. They're still third place in the Eastern Conference. But Jay, I feel like I have reason for optimism because the defense, I think, is improving a little bit. Am I right in that regard? Am I right to have a little bit of optimism with regards to the Celtics, especially on the defensive end of the floor? You just said that after they gave up 119 points. That to they, if the goal of the game is to make the other team hit shoot mid-range shots, they accomplish their goal. It just so happened that DeMar DeRozan hit all of those shots and like was 90% on contested shots. Like DeMar DeRozan had an absolutely insane game, but I think uh, if you go process, not results, it was actually a, not a terrible defensive performance for the Celtics. I, yeah, I, I mean, I guess. Uh, to me, the the problem with their defense has not been the shots they're giving up. They're giving up the right types of shots. Um, Joe Mazzulla has spoken about the shot profile. They're just not impacting the shots enough. Like, Donovan Mitchell has been able to to just roast them. D- DeMar DeRozan, he seemed totally unfazed. Like, there was not ever a time where he felt uncomfortable in in that game. And that, to me, is what the Celtics were so great at last year. They made everybody uncomfortable. So I, I just think that somehow, you know, they have to continue forcing the same shots, but just make people more uncomfortable. That's it. So is that just contesting more shots, being more aggressive, coming over pick and rolls, like really following the, the screener, not giving up switches so easily? What? How do you make people – you should know this, Jay. How do you make people uncomfortable? As a pure defensive mastermind, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just think like it, everything just has to be a little better. I mean, that sounds like the worst analysis ever, and it probably is. but. You've got to get a better contest. You've got to be closer going over ball screens. You've got to you've got to pick up the ball earlier so that you know the guy's not getting into his move with very smoothly. You know, like there, there's a lot that goes into it. The help has to be a little sooner. Um, so I just think there's a lot that goes into it, and and they're doing a lot of things right, but it just hasn't been nearly as impactful. Um, as it was last year. They're still five and three, though. They're still. But DeRozan was insane. Yeah, that, like, like he was absolutely insane. He was like, uh, yes, I think they should have done more to slow down Demar Derozan. But I've seen the stat right now that he was 11, 11 for fifteen while facing tight coverage. I know, like the NBA tracking stats, it's like very hard to actually know how close that defender was. And 
you know what, they don't have a stat for what DeMar DeRozan shot when he was uncomfortable, but he was absolutely like ridiculous last night and just could not miss from the mid range. If you just like look at his shot chart, like I, I guess it's you should know your personnel and know like DeMar DeRozan, all he does is knock down mid range two pointers. And I was thinking last night that like if there wasn't a three pointer, like if there wasn't a three point line, DeMar DeRozan would be the MVP. He's the best like long mid range two shooter uh, I think I've ever seen. He was absolutely absurd. Um, I like that theory. I like that theory. Because like then the three point line, like the distance has no longer has value. And so then it's actually like the closer shots are easier. And DeMar DeRozan just seems to be amazing in the 17 to 20 foot range. I, I love that theory. I've never heard it debated before. Who would be the MVP without that? But I I like I like this theory a lot. DeRozan, he just hit and he, it's the footwork is just spectacular. He gets everywhere he wants. He's always, always, always on balance. He can finish no matter what you try to do. It's just he draws tons of free throws. His up fakes kill everybody. Like, the guy is just amazing. I love watching him play. And he's just a mastermind. Like, he's he's an absolute master at everything that he does. And it's it's incredible to watch. Also incredible to watch. I think we just have to give some credit to Jason Tatum. He just continues his, like, is he going to average over 30 points this year? He just continues to be an elite scorer. I think he, um, 20 free throws uh, last night against the Bulls, which is the most I think he's ever had in a game. Uh, he just seems to be getting to the line easier. I don't know if he's grifting better. I don't know if he's just uh, being more decisive or aggressive in his play, but it just seems like him getting to the free throw line has just made uh, – made his life and the Celtics' life on offense that much that much easier. And even in a night where he, to be honest, he didn't really have a great shooting performance from the field, 8 for 23, 3 of 10 from 3, but he got 17 points from the free throw line. And I think that was just like made the Celtics' offense that much uh, more dangerous. Or it, it does make the Celtics' offense that much dangerous when he can draw that many fouls. Yeah, and that's a huge development for him. He... He entered the game averaging seven free throws per game, uh, free throw attempts, that is. And and that's a good number. And, you know, earlier in his career, if he'd gone eight for 23 from the field, he would have been super inefficient. He would have probably had like 20 points and the Celtics would have lost. But he he got to the spots he wanted. He drew contact. He got easy points. All of a sudden, he's had a bad shooting night, and he still gets thirty six. That that's when you know you've gotten to a a new level. Is is when you don't have a hot scoring night, and you're still able to manufacture thirty six points. And and that's that's been the difference to to Tatum start to me as he's getting himself all the easy points. It's not just the free throw attempts too. He's, he's cutting for layups. He's cutting for dunks. He's getting the easy looks in transition. He's relocating off the away from the ball to get 
easier three pointers. Like he's just reached a level where he's get, he's getting himself the easy points. He used to always get all the hard points, right? Like it used to be dribble, 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 launch tough mid range, and and now it's just it's it's twisting the other way for him where he's just making the game so much easier for himself. And I mean he he's been really really good to start the season as as you know. Um but to score 36 when you don't really have a great night is is really really impressive and the I think the Celtics like they might have found something with that bench unit that they used. Yeah, that bench unit dominated. It was Tatum and then Malcolm Brogdon, Hauser, Cornette, and Grant Williams, if I have that correct. Yeah. And they just that is blew correct. the doors off the uh, the Bulls in both kind of uh, start the second quarter and to start the fourth quarter. That's when the Celtics went on these big, big runs. Um, what do you think makes that unit so effective? And is it just Malcolm Brogdon refusing to miss shots? Well, <laughs> that that certainly helps. And to be fair, it was like a, a quirky situation because Andre Drummond was out for the Bulls and they were playing like just Derek, insanely Derek small Jones lineup. Jr. was their backup five. <laughs> yeah. But, but it also it could have put the Celtics in bad situations, right? Because Luke Cornette was guarding Goran Dragic and uh, Alex Caruso, which could have been really bad matchups, but Cornette kind of held his own. Um, he had a couple more of his ridiculous contests from the paint. Uh, well, guys shoot three-pointers. He did it. He, he's gone overboard at this point because – he he did it. It works for some three pointers. You've gone too far, He's, Luke. But he also bit on some pump fakes while he was contesting from the paint, and then it just looked real foolish. It didn't, I think, result in any Bulls baskets. But I, he's got a little bit of that jump happiness that uh, that Robert Williams had in an earlier career. But unfortunately for Luke Cornett, he does not have the same like second jump uh, and ability to recover like Rob Williams did. He he jumped a little too much on some. Uh, on some pump fakes from three that um I don't know. I I just thought I appreciate it. I like the eclipse. It just went a little too far for my liking. That said, um I I feel like the Celtics are a considerably better team now because they've decided to give all the backup center minutes to Luke Cornette. Like he's he's hasn't been great. Um he's not really a scoring he's threat. never gonna be great. I my idea that he was going to get two double doubles feels insane. Like I just the idea that he's going to score ten points and get ten rebounds. But if we could get that to five and like he could he could get five and five every time he's in the game. He just needs to be solid, and he's been pretty solid in his uh, his kind of short stints since he's emerged as like the backup guy. Yeah, I, I thought, like I said, that that Bulls lineup was super small and super athletic too. Like they had Derek Jones Jr., Javante Green, Zach Levine, Alex Caruso. Um, and, and he was able to stick with the Bulls guards, make things a little tougher. Um, and he didn't look too out of place against those. So I thought that was like a a good sign for Luke that even when the game is being played at a way that could 
really put him at a disadvantage. He was able to stay out there, be impactful. Um, and when the when the Bulls were that small, like the Celtics just spread the court. Like they really have a lot of shooting in that second unit. And with with Grant Williams, with Hauser, with Tatum on the perimeter for Malcolm Brogdon, it's like he just got all the way to the cup. All the way to the do, cup. Do Malcolm Brogdon and Alex Caruso have an unknown beef that I wasn't aware of? Because it felt like Brogdon made it his personal mission to go like through the chest of Alex Caruso, possession after possession. You're right. Like With that spacing on the floor, there was no one really there at the rim. And so Brogdon did a hell of a good job of just going at the rim. But Caruso's a good defender. Caruso is like has a reputation for being one of the better defenders in this league. And Malcolm Brogdon just didn't care like just and just went through him I think four or five times it was pretty wild you look at Brogdon's shot chart he is like pretty much all in the restricted area he had that one time where he slipped and then uh made the the shot but uh mid-range shot but like it was pretty much all at the rim mostly through Alex Caruso I was surprised that he was just able to do that with such ease yeah he was I mean just really using his size physicality quickness everything he he repeatedly got to the rim um and he's crafty though it's like even if he doesn't get there like with the first initial burst he has like a lot of ability to kind of use his footwork and and get angle and use his body to get around people uh i've just been very impressed by him like once he gets into the paint when he's looking to score it felt like because there was not a large big out there sometimes he can get in like a facilitator mode where he's only looking to pass but it felt like he he knew he had buckets and like he has an impressive ability to just like get to the rim and, and make something happen um when that's his main mission. Yeah, and, and that was big. Uh especially in the second quarter. And Joe Mazzulla clearly loved what that group was doing because he left them on the court for like nine or ten straight minutes. Uh to the point where Jason Tatum played twenty two first half minutes on the front leg of a back to back. Which is Probably a little too much, Joe. I mean, when it's you, you rolling, get, that that you, lineup was rolling. It it was rolling, um, and and that that like that could be. A, I think that could be a very good look because I just think when the Celtics go to that lineup, they have so much shooting, and I think I think Danger Cart keeps keeps tweeting about it. But when they're able to use that group with Robert Williams, uh like just tons of shooting with Malcolm Brogdon and Jason Tatum's playmaking and Robert Williams' lob threat. Okay. That could be that could be extremely interesting. Uh right now it's Cornette, not exactly the same type of lob threat. But he did have an alley oop. He did. He did. He did not throw it down with any sort of authority, but he morally tossed it in the basket. But it was an alley oop. But you're right with with Robert Williams, the lob, the like um, the gravity, the vertical spacing. Many people are talking about, uh, and the uh, Hauser and Grant Williams being able to space like that is a very potent lineup, especially for you know a second unit lineup that I just don't think other teams benches you're going to really be able to um, match up with. Yeah, and Malcolm Brogdon now up to fifty eight percent. On two pointers, which is just extremely impressive for a guard. 
Like, he is just getting to the cup, producing good attempts, and and really being aggressive. <laughs> we talked about his usage rate the other day, how it's basically it, it basically would be the highest of his career and higher than it was last season. Like, he is just really being aggressive uh, every time he's on the court. Obviously, he's playing limited minutes. He's playing oftentimes with uh, bench groups. But it's been, like, pretty – not, like, eye-opening because you know Malcolm Brogdon's good and you know he's capable of, of handling a, a pretty large role offensively. But it's just – it's – it's absolutely wild to me that he has a higher usage rate than he did last year. What's going on with you, Packard? What are you doing right now? I can hear you speaking to someone else in the background. I guess I'll just keep talking while, while you're speaking to someone else. This is wild. We got Packard talking to his landlord in the background um, while, while I'm just stuck podcasting. And... He wants me to take a call, but I don't have control of that. So I'm I'm sorry, people. You're stuck with me. We'll go to uh, something else. Um, back to the Cornette talk. Because I, I do think it's important that he has taken the minutes from Noah Vonley, taken the minutes from Blake Griffin. Uh, and the Celtics, like, they, they needed that because, like, you know, their bench should be impactful. Their bench should be come in and, and really give them a boost. To have Malcolm Brogdon and Grant Williams off the bench and sometimes playing with Jason Tatum and then have Hauser for shooting who can really shoot. Uh, like, you just have a chance to have a really good bench unit. And the, the big in that situation, like, just don't screw up. Don't, don't give up easy buckets. Don't foul. And and don't do anything stupid offensively. That's just about all their backup big needs to do. And Cornette has been able to do that. He's been he's been sharp with that. Um, he's kind of he's been in the right place. He he's been impactful defensively. Um, he hasn't really been a threat to score, but and he there has been a few times when he just hasn't even looked at the hoop when he's caught it. Um. Oh, he's back. I'm back. Sorry for that. We I we could hear you talking to your landlord. Oh, um, really? All of it? <laughs> not. I don't know what you were saying, but I could certainly hear you speaking. Uh, oh, did, well, did you get my text message saying that I had to go? I'm talking to my landlord. Take calls. I got it like like five minutes after you left. Uh, <laughs> not not really five minutes, but I, I was I could hear you speaking before I got the text. I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Packer just, just left in the middle of this podcast. Uh, is everything okay? Are you getting evicted? I am, I am not getting evicted. No, everything is uh, uh, fine. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear it. That is good news. What uh, what uh, I miss? Uh, did you talk about Jalen Brown and how he's having a very weird season? Uh how so? I saw your tweet. So please explain to me why you think Jalen is having such a strange season. It just feels like when he drives to the basket, 
he doesn't really know what he's doing, and it feels like he's there's situations where he's been very, very smooth with, especially with his left hand, and then these other situations where he's kind of gets himself lost in traffic, and sometimes he jumps, and that is the worst result because then he just kind of tries throws it to nowhere. Other times he's been more patient, not left his feet, and that I think that happened last night where he's been able to. Uh, he found Derek White for that big three at the end. Like he's done a good job, I think, in being patient and finding the extra guy. I just feel like there's sometimes where he just drives with this reckless abandon, where he doesn't know what's going on, and it hasn't resulted in the smoothest of basketball from him um, just early on this year. Yeah, it, it's it's funny because um, obviously. If you're the Celtics, you want him out in transition and you want him being very aggressive going to the rim because he can be very good at that. And he's third in transition points per game at at 6.9, according to Synergy Sports, in, in the NBA behind Giannis and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, but, but it's weird because he's just not always super efficient in those situations he's shooting like his efficiency compared to the other guys who are out in transition all the time is just not great and that's because he sometimes settles for just really bad shots i just think his decision making needs to be sharper uh in transition in the half court too but especially in transition it just feels like he's forcing things um that he doesn't need to and like you can pull it out sometimes, Jalen. You you don't have to go hurdle yourself into the middle of of a number of guys, um, and that that was a problem for him last year. Like he scored a lot in transition. He gets out all the time, but also like just be a little better with your decision making when you get out there. And I, I think I think that's probably been the the weirdness you're discussing is that just like. He's trying to force stuff that that just isn't there sometimes. What'd you think of him getting the last shot in overtime against the Cavs? Uh, I thought that was like I, I would have. I think the Celtics would have been better off with Jason Tatum shooting it, um, probably. Especially he had made a lot of big plays to that point in the game. And he was the one who was kind of um, in a better rhythm, I thought. But at the same time, like 2.3 seconds left, you're probably going to have to settle for a look like Jalen Brown got. Um, and then also, like I think it can be important for Jalen Brown to get a shot, like, like to get that play called for him. Um, like that could be a big deal for him, you know? Because uh, it's probably annoying to some extent, and to like to grow at the same time that Jason Tatum does, um, but just get overshadowed at every turn by Jason Tatum emerging into one of the top five or ten best players in the world. So, like, I, I think that from a team morale perspective giving him the shot might have been a good play uh and honestly like 
there's not much difference between Jalen and Jason or Jason creating a shot like that in that moment. I don't think so. It was fine. Yeah. Not great, but fine. I mean, like, I think that a lot of people reacted because they wanted him to make it. They're like, well, how do you not go to Tatum in that situation? I'm fine with it. Like Jalen, 2.3 seconds on the clock, one-on-one against Dean Wade, uh, who apparently is good. Although I refuse to accept that. Um, it, it was a fine, like, look, I just don't like, you can't always force the ball to Tatum. Um, and, you know, Tatum probably would have gotten a very similar look. And I guess if you have more faith in him to knock down that shot, which you probably should, but I don't know. Jalen Brown is an all-star, all-star level player. And, uh, I don't know if you don't have faith in him to hit that shot, then like, I feel like that's more problematic. So like drawing one up for Jalen Brown is not, uh, not the end of the world. Uh, if you're the totally fine. Yeah, totally fine. It was basically the same look either of them would have gotten. And I don't think there's like a huge gap between their abilities on that particular shot. All right. I mean, that that's all I have. Do you have any bold predictions before you go to New York for what's going to happen in Madison Square Garden tonight? Jalen Brunson will score 3,900 points. <laughs> no. Uh, I think the... The Celtics get a W. They win by seven. They just keep playing shootouts. At some point, they got to, like... At some point, they just got to hold a team to under 100 points. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen in, like, today's NBA because scoring is up across the league and it feels like everything's a shootout, but... um, Not not playing a 120-115 game would be uh, good for the Celtics, and I don't... I mean, they they took care of the Wizards, though I don't think the Knicks are that much better. Uh, The Wizards might be really, really terrible, uh, seeing as they just lost by 40 to the Brooklyn Nets. But I don't know. The Knicks have some confidence. The Brooklyn Nets without Kyrie. Yes. Well, that's a whole whole situation. Um, But the Knicks are also coming off a back-to-back. They just had a big win against the Sixers last night. So it'll be interesting to see how both the teams play. You mentioned Jason Tatum had a lot of minutes uh, in the game against the Bulls. Marcus Smart had less minutes. I think he only played 20 games and it's just or 24 minutes, but uh just their their guard depth is pretty impressive with how interchangeable they can use Brogdon, uh White, Smart and Jalen Brown, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there in New York and also a huge game coming up against the Grizzlies. Jay and I will be back to talk it all through, break it all down and as you heard from earlier in this podcast, anything is potable. Even discussions with my landlord when they unexpectedly lock on my door. That is, in fact, potable. Jay King, taking a plane, a train to New York right now? Train, baby. Amtrak Jay, also potable. The lesson here, folks, is that anything is potable. Anything. Anything at all. Anything is potable.